All right, so as we've seen, uh, God has made a covenant with Abraham. He's given him promises, promises to bless Abraham, promises to give him offspring, promises to give him land, and that through his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But that offspring is pretty important to those promises, and, he, and yet he had no offspring. Now, we're going to be looking at chapter 16 of Genesis, but I'm going to begin by reading the first six verses, and then we'll read the rest in the course of the sermon. So listen now to Genesis 16, verses 1 through 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would direct us in this time to understand your word. That you would guide the preaching as well as the hearing of your word. That we might lay this to our hearts for our instruction, for our faith, for our uh, growth in grace. We pray that you would bless us at this time through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are reminded in this text that you and I, as well as Abram, live in a messy and troubled world. Even in the household of the godly, uh, there can be sin and strife and suffering. Uh, as these first six verses lay out a situation that uh, has taken a turn for the worse. Uh, Hagar, this servant of Sarah, is, is given to Abram, and he goes into her, and she, they, she conceives, and then she looks uh, with contempt on her mistress, and and it goes on and on, and there's just this contention and strife within the household, things not as the way God designed it to be. And we find that presented in front of us. And in some sense, that's not news, you know, that there's sin and strife and suffering in the world, uh, in the church, in your home, uh, to some degree or another. But the good news from this passage that we'll find as we go through the rest of the chapter, is that the Lord is a merciful God who sees and listens to your affliction. Notice that God doesn't have a lot of, uh, you know, he, he's not, to, he, obviously he's working through all these events, but he's not directly interacting in these first six verses. The question could be, where is the Lord? What is he doing? Is he paying attention to what Abram and Sarai are, are doing? But we'll find that he will come and act but the first six verses will find a mess resulting from an illegitimate solution. But then in the next portion of this chapter, we'll find that God is a God of seeing, uh, who has mercy 
on Hagar. But first, let's look at this mess resulting from an illegitimate solution. For context, Abraham is now 85 years old. He was 75 when he set out from Haran, went directly to uh, Canaan, and then to Egypt, and then back to Canaan. And he's been there 10 years. Um, Sarai is thus 75 years old, and she is barren. She has had no children. Even when she was younger, she was barren, and this only has become less likely. It's not like, oh, you know, another 10 years, they'll be more likely then. Uh, she is continuing to lose hope that it's going to work out this way. Um, she realizes that, you know, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. And she has heard, doubtless, of what God has promised Abraham. In the last chapter, God had promised and made it clear that it would be from Abraham's uh, or Abram's own body that this child would come, but it had not yet specifically said that it would be from Sarai herself. And so she comes up with a plan. She has a suggestion. Convicted of the importance of this promised offspring, she does uh, know God's promises, has faith in God's promises, but she suggests a solution. Uh, let her and her husband have children by a surrogate. Uh, by Abram going into her Egyptian servant, Hagar. Now, this obviously seems strange to us, but it was a custom for centuries, for a long time in the ancient world. We'll find it later in uh, Jacob and uh, his wives who have servants that are given to him. And uh, it was uh, the case, it was the custom that children raised up in this way would be uh, counted as Sarai's children in this case, uh, but to have uh, this child by uh, a surrogate, a, a stand-in uh, by her servant, Hagar. Um, and some of the uh, nations around have laws regarding this because it could backfire. In fact, some of the whole uh, situation of the servant becoming, looking on her mistress with contempt is even referred to in some of those laws. It's perhaps an understandable um, complication. But even though this was an established and legal custom at the day, and even though it was done with good intention, uh, yet this act violated the creation ordinance of marriage. It wasn't terribly long ago. We're in chapter 16. Remember back in chapter 2, when God had uh, instituted marriage, uh, he created one woman, one man, and he joined the two into one flesh, uh, that marriage was designed uh, for uh, one man and one woman, uh, and to not separate it and to not add another person into it. And so this uh, human custom uh, was an illegitimate solution. God's goals should be reached also by God's means, and God's methods, and God's way that he has appointed to those goals. They had faith in God's promise, but in this instance, they did not express their faith uh, according to his revealed will. Now, God's disapproval of this act is, can be uh, deduced from several things, can be, is evident from several things. First of all, of course, from Genesis chapter 2, the uh, way he appointed and designed marriage to be. But secondly, because this would not indeed be the promised offspring that God had spoken of. Uh, the child born of Hagar would not be 
the one through whom all of these promises would be fulfilled. Uh, so that was, this is not what God had in mind when he promised uh, to Abram. Uh, and thirdly, we find how the narrative points out all the trouble that came of it. But fourthly, from how the narrative describes what happened in ways that should remind us of chapter 3 of Genesis. What happened in chapter 3? That's when uh, there was the eating of the forbidden fruit. And how is that described? Well, in this case, we find that she took and gave to her husband. Does that remind you of something else? Eve took the fruit and gave it to her husband. And here, Sarah takes Hagar and gives her to Abram, her husband. Not only that, but then in verse 2, it says that Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, his wife, just as Adam had listened to the voice of his wife and done this thing. Uh, so the, the author, Moses, as he's writing Genesis, is reminding us of, of a similar pattern here uh, of sin working itself out as they take something forbidden. So Abram went into Hagar and she conceived a child for him. In verse 4, but Hagar responds to this with pride, uh, looking with contempt on her mistress. You know, as she looks upon her mistress, she does not revere her as she once did. She now thinks, you know, I'm equal with her. Perhaps I'm even better than her. I've given my master what, what she could not provide for him. Isn't that too often how we respond to blessings, to become proud and haughty and to start looking down on other people that don't have what God has given us. Hagar did wrong in viewing Sarah with contempt. She was still Sarai's servant. The angel of the Lord will refer to that here in a little bit. But she thought herself equal to Sarai, perhaps even better. She had conceived a child for Abram. She was displacing her mistress. And Sarai, understandably, is furious at the contempt Perhaps she should have seen this coming, but she's nonetheless uh, upset. As Proverbs 30 says, one of the things under which the earth trembles and under which it cannot bear up is a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. This is an unnatural thing, uh, a turmoil, a revolution in the household. And so Sarai presents her complaint to Abram, holding him responsible for this wrong. She says, you know, may the wrong done to me be on you. At first, that might seem a bit unfair. Isn't she the one that came up with this idea? Um, but <clears throat> she holds him responsible for this wrong because he was the head of the household. Uh, she, he decided to take her up on this idea. Uh, he uh, made the choice, and he went through with it, and he was responsible for the household. Unlike Adam, Abram does not blame his wife. You know, the woman that you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I did eat. That's what, what Adam says. But, but that's not how Abram responds. He takes responsibility. He does not fight Sarai. He doesn't, well, you did this and accuse her back and try to uh, undercut her. He doesn't support Hagar's pride and, and side with her against his wife. No, he affirms Sarai's superiority and her authority over Hagar. Sarai then punishes Hagar for her pride. It says here she dealt harshly with her. It's an interesting word. Uh, 
that, that Hebrew word is actually found in chapter 15 to describe how the Egyptians will later treat the Israelites. Uh, they will afflict them. The, the word is for afflict. It can also be uh, translated humbled, that, that she humbled Hagar. And it's the same word, a different form of it, in chapter 19, in verse 9. So if you just look back, we haven't read it yet, look down, chapter 16, verse 9, when Hagar is told to submit to her mistress, uh, we could also say, humble yourself, uh, even here, as Harai, Sarai had humbled her. Um, so afflict or humble. Sarai puts Hagar into her place. Perhaps with excessive force, it's a little hard to know uh, simply from the word used, but certainly unpleasant. And Hagar responds by fleeing to the wilderness to the south. So rather predictably, this solution backfires and they all suffer. Sarah or Sarai is despised by Hagar. Abram is chastised by uh, his wife and Hagar is afflicted by Sarai and then she flees with her unborn child and the child that was the whole point of this is gone now with Hagar as well uh, it's a mess and nothing really uh, has been achieved although we have now an unborn child the future of which is uncertain so before we go on to the rest of the chapter a few points of application uh, see that you are not led astray by misguided counsel. Whether it's from your culture at large, well, it's a custom that's approved. Everyone is doing it. Therefore, it must be a, a legitimate solution to our problems. Uh, or whether it's from those who are close to you. Now, listening to your wife is not always wrong. Um, later on, Abram's going to be told to do what his wife tells him in chapter 21. It depends on what, she's, what counsel she's giving. Um, nor is the culture always wrong in everything it says. But you must listen first to God's word. Do not be led astray from it. And if a husband takes his wife's counsel, he assumes responsibility for that decision. Um, it is, is his decision then to take that counsel and to follow through with it. Um, certainly wives should be careful to give good counsel uh, to, to not lead their husband astray. Uh, but husbands as well should evaluate counsel carefully and follow it deliberately. Secondly, and more generally, use godly means for godly ends. God gives us promises to believe, and he gives us his law to direct us his steps. He doesn't just show us our, our end goal. He doesn't just give us our destiny where we're going to end up and say, good luck getting there. Uh, but he also tells us how to walk. Uh, he didn't just tell, you know, to use the analogy of Pilgrim's Progress, you know, find the celestial city, but he also said stick to the path. It's, it's dangerous if you start walking off the path. Um, he will fulfill his promises by his power, and it is your responsibility to uh, you certainly believe those promises and then follow his commands. Duty is yours. Consequences are ultimately in his hands. It's good to be wise. It's good to, you know, seek goals by effective means. But pragmatic wisdom, a divorce from obedience, causes well-intentioned people to go astray. Uh, we must have principles. We must have his word. We must have his uh, commandments. And so whether it's 
compromising for the sake of church growth or in apologetics or political reform or fighting heresy, you know, good causes. And yet, well, this is just how the game is played. This is how it has to be done. And to compromise the principles and, and commandments that we have from God's word, like the, ordinate, the ordinance of marriage, for example, no, we cannot compromise these things. We must seek godly goals by godly means. And the third point of application here is to be patient. You must endure in the right course by faith, trusting in the Lord to fulfill his promises. Abram and Sarai had waited for 10 years. It's not like they jumped to this conclusion right away. But then they gave in to an illegitimate solution. Enduring 10 years doesn't give you permission to to give in. Uh, You have to go to the end. You have to endure to the end. You are called to endure for the long term to hold fast, to endure in the right course by trusting in God's promises, that he will be faithful to fulfill them. He will not expect you to sin uh, to gain them. So be patient. Now let's go ahead and finish the chapter and see where uh, this goes. Verses 7 through 16. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction, he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, I have, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahi Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. In this passage, we find that uh, God is a God of seeing, who is merciful toward Hagar. We find the mercy of the God who sees me. Even though you and I experience difficulty and affliction, sin against others and are sinned against by others, yet the Lord is a merciful God who sees and listens to your affliction. Note the desperation of Hagar. She is an afflicted, pregnant woman and a runaway slave and a foreigner who is alone and in the wilderness. She is an afflicted, pregnant woman and a runaway slave and a foreigner alone in the wilderness. And she stops at a spring along the road to shore. This is south of Canaan, out kind of in the desert. She stops at the spring or this well. And what she doesn't know what the future holds for her. You know, does anyone care of her plight? She is very much left alone. But it's there that the angel of the Lord finds her. This angel is a representative of God, speaking for God, manifesting his presence as God's messenger. 
indicating that God sees. God has taken note. God has listened to your affliction. He's heard your suffering, and he is going to do something about it. But the angel first begins with a question. Uh, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Not the first time that God has called out with a question. God had asked Adam, where are you? After Adam had sinned, he had asked Esau, where is Abel your brother? Does God not know these things? No, God knows these things. But he's drawing this out from the person. What are you doing? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? Notice Hagar doesn't answer where she's going. She probably doesn't know where she's going. Maybe that's where she was going, uh, into the wilderness. She was trying to escape. But she does say what she was doing. I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. She did not defend herself like Esau uh, or like Adam, you know. She puts it out there plainly. I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And so then the angel tells her three things. It says, the angel of the Lord said to her, the angel of the Lord said to her, uh, says three things to her. First of all, return to your mistress and submit to her. Like we said, same word there, humble yourself uh, to her. Both she and the angel recognized that she still was a servant of Sarai. That hadn't changed by her fleeing, that she still had this obligation to her. She would need to forsake her pride. She would need to humble herself, as she would need to accept her place and fulfill her duties in the household of Abram. And the New Testament would give similar directions to slaves in 1 Peter 2, 18 through 20, for example, uh, where they're told to, to obey your masters, uh, uh, both the believing as well as the unjust, um, although it encouraged slaves to gain their freedom if opportunity arose to do so legally. In fact, we'll find that later with Hagar, but that's a later chapter. But this return was doubtless a difficult thing for her, um, it was, but it was accompanied also with encouragement and promises. He didn't simply say, go back, submit to her, and end the story. Nope. No, God also gives us encouragement. He gives us promises uh, when it comes to doing, uh, uh, when it comes to repenting, and when it comes to doing things that are difficult or fearful. God told her through the angel, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Though she would need to humble herself, she would be exalted through her offspring. Uh, Hagar's offspring would be innumerable. This is the way God would speak to Abram, but now he's speaking to Hagar in the same way. Now, more details are given in verses 11 through 12. First of all, this child is a son. They didn't have ultrasound. She probably didn't know that yet, uh, but this was a son that she would bear, and his name shall be Ishmael, because this means God hears. Uh, God has heard Hagar's affliction. Uh, God has taken note of her suffering, her pain, her hurt, and for the rest of her life, the name of her son will remind her of this. God hears. And even though she is a slave in a position that few of us can understand, the much, much more binding and uh, lower than uh, any employee today, uh, she is a slave, yet her son shall be a free man. A wild donkey of a man. 
Now we might wonder, what kind of description is that? Is that a compliment? Is that an insult? Is it good to be a wild donkey of a man? Um, I don't think it was much of an insult as if you called someone uh, a donkey today, but uh, in Job, we get an understanding of how the wild donkey was viewed, and I think the idea of freedom is emphasized here. <clears throat> Job 39, 5 through 8. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey? To whom have I given the arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place? He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture, and he searches after every green thing. Well, this is the wild donkey that Ishmael is compared to. Uh, that, no, you, you will have to go back, but there's uh, a future for your son, and he shall be free. He shall be like the wild donkey. And he shall be at odds with everyone and shall uh, hold his own and shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. The Bible will go to show that uh, the Ishmaelites, Ishmael's descendants, uh, would include many of the Arab tribes uh, across the Arabian Peninsula from Havilah to Shur, uh, stretching across that, including Kedar, which is mentioned throughout Scripture. There's even prophecies of eventually Kedar coming to Christ as one of those uh, tribes that shall come in, in the messianic age but he would also become a nation or nations now these are great promises and uh, encouragement to Hagar God has not left me God has looked upon me he has heard me he's attentive he understands this suffering and he is uh, certainly redirecting me bringing me back but he has a future for me and for my child my son so Hag how does Hagar respond she calls the Lord you are a God of seeing, uh, El Roy, or even the God who sees me. She saw that God was looking out for her. She believed this. She confessed that he sees and cares for the afflicted. God did not merely know about Hagar, but he took note of her affliction and he did something about it. He was not blind to her suffering. He was not like, you know, the, the first two figures in the parable of the good samaritan you know the guy is suffering on the side of the road and they are careful to walk on the other side and not even maybe to look at him but no like the samaritan who looks upon him and does not hide his face but go ahead and, and helps the poor man well here it helps the poor woman helps hagar god is not blind to her suffering uh, her affliction god was merciful Hagar also not only confesses this truth about God, but she also names the spring or the well, Bir uh, Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. That spring that she had stopped at, it, it gets a name from this vision, this appearance, the well of the living one who sees me. Have you ever been perhaps as a child with your parents in a busy place, maybe in the mall or back when people used to go to malls? or uh, some busy place and and you look around and all of a sudden your parents are not there and you're like where did they go is that a little bit of panic there it's like your, your parents aren't watching you your parents can't see you oh no what's going to happen uh you start to panic um you don't have to panic that way god sees you god knows you you are not orphans in this world uh, he cares for the birds he cares for the ravens even uh, how much more will he care for you he is a god of seeing. One more important note, Hagar bore Abram a son. Abram named his son Ishmael 
as the angel had directed. So Hagar must have reported this to Abram. Abram receives this. He, he names the child Ishmael, and now he's 86 years old. Uh, so we, it's the next year. And so Ishmael is born. <clears throat> so in application, uh, the Lord is a merciful God who sees and listens to your affliction. He is the God who sees me. He sees your trouble. He's not like the man who looks away and hardens his heart to avoid getting involved. He doesn't look at the mess of your life and think, I don't want anything to do with that. No, he is merciful. He's compassionate. He sees. He takes note. He cares. That's an important lesson for Israel. When Israel was in Egypt, was being afflicted by their taskmasters. That same word for affliction is used to describe their experience. And God says to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them. And it remains an important lesson for God's people today. God knows your suffering and will not turn a blind eye to it. Are you afflicted? Do you feel hurt? So is Hagar, but God cared for her. He's not calloused to human suffering. Certainly now you have the greater comfort that the Lord Jesus uh, became man and knew those human uh, sufferings and afflictions and all that you experience with pain and weakness, though not with sin. God looked upon the affliction of Hagar and took mercy on her and made this Egyptian slave woman the mother of free nations. He later looked upon the harm inflicted on the Israelites and took up their cause. So know that Heavenly Father sees you and cares about your afflictions. Do you feel alone in your troubles? Do you feel like no one can understand what you're going through or that no one cares or that no one can help even if they did? So did Hagar. She was alone, but God sees and knows and cares about her. So cast your burdens upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. Pray that God would look upon your affliction, bring you relief and strength. If Hagar was not alone, uh, then neither are you. But you might say, I am not blameless. I've sinned against God. Will he still be merciful to me? Am I not just getting what I deserve? So was Hagar. She was not blameless. She had been proud, yet God came for her. He left the 99, he went after that lost sheep, caught up with her, and brought her back. He did not leave her. Her sin did not stop him from listening to her affliction. It did not stop him from showing mercy. He is merciful towards sinners. And that judgment that we bring upon ourselves is all the more matter for his mercy, the more danger for him to have compassion on. He sees the danger. He provides a way of escape. And like a shepherd, he brings back the wayward and forgives their sins as he draws them back to the fold in repentance. So call out to him. Like the psalmist, say, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Just lay them out before him. Describe them to him in, in prayer. He's a God who hears. And like I said, you should know this all the more because God has come in the flesh and blood to deliver sinners. He has seen your affliction and sent your only, his only begotten son to deliver you from sin and from misery. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He's a merciful high priest 
and a king who looks out for his people. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, Hebrews says, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then having called out to him, last point of application here, receive his help with thanks and and faith like Hagar did. Confess, you truly are a God of seeing. Give him the glory for his mercy. Uh, Give thanks for his care. Humble yourself before him. Uh, Take heart and follow the course that is laid out before you. I confess him as the God who sees you. So in conclusion, we're reminded in this text that you and I and Abram lived or live in a messy and troubled world. Even in the household and the households of the godly, there can be sin and strife and suffering. Uh, So first of all, seek to avoid such problems by adhering to his word, holding fast to it, not trusting your own understanding, humbling uh, yourself before God, trusting him, the means, the manners that he has appointed uh, to do things in the way he has appointed. But then when you encounter these problems, and they will arise, uh, humble yourself. Sin feeds off sin, and everyone gets hurt. So turn away from that sin and cast yourself upon the God of mercy. Remember the good news from the passage. The Lord is a merciful God. And he sees and listens to your affliction. Take heart by trusting in God's mercy in Christ. Cast your burdens upon the Lord, for he cares for you. So to the God who sees us, to the God of mercy, be all glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your mercy, for uh, your compassion, for your love that uh, sees thee danger and trouble, the misery that we are in, and seeks to aid and to help us. We thank you for the mercy that you have shown us in Christ in particular. For your mercy is over all that you have made, all the, the fruit of this creation, the life and air that we breathe is a sign of your mercy. But we especially thank you for that redemption in Jesus Christ that we Uh, may dwell in your presence forever, uh, the promises of the covenant, uh, that we might have a future and not be cut off. We pray that you would strengthen us and assure us that you see us, that we might hold fast to the course that you have laid out before us, and you would grant this mercy not only to us, but to all the peoples and nations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.